0: Good morning, church. It is so good to be with you all today. Um, our first reading comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53, which can be found on page 1061 of your pew Bibles. Uh, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they returned, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks. Today's second reading is from Acts 1 1 through 11, which can be found on page 1090 in your Pew Bible. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over the period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, to and the ends of the earth.
2: Good morning, Chairman. As you have heard, it is Ascension Sunday today, and my hair is caught in my microphone, which happens a lot. Okay, there we go. So, for the most part, I like Tony's uh, beginning, like. He has ascended, and I love that you all responded. Because <laughs> uh, we don't have a catchy little phrase for, uh, for Ascension Sunday, because mostly the Western church doesn't know what to do with the Ascension. Uh, that makes some sense, because today is the day that we celebrate that Jesus went away. My guess is that most of us wish he didn't. But he did, and he said it was important that he went away. He didn't leave us alone, of course. He sent us the Spirit, and he's present with us through the Spirit, and he's also present with us through the sacraments um, in baptism and communion. But he has to be present with us in those ways because he is not here anymore. Jesus still has a body, right? He's still flesh and blood and still limited by his body, though differently than us. And he sa- it says in Hebrews that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He is not here anymore. Um, we don't usually talk about that, right? We like to focus on the ways that Jesus is with us always, and that is also true. But it is important, as he said, that he went away and he really did go. And Wright uh, lays it out really clearly in his book, Surprised by Hope. Um, He reminds us that heaven isn't up above us somewhere, like Jesus is not off in outer space right now. Jesus going up in the ascension is more like a visual metaphor uh, because heaven and earth are much more like overlapping realms. Um, Heaven is God's space and earth is human space and the two realities are right close to one another but they are separated. Um, There was a time when they were one, before sin. But sin rent them apart. And that separation is necessary because we could no longer stand to be in the full presence of God, as we see in the Old Testament. It kills people. But God has never been satisfied with that. God has always made a way to be with us. For a time, the temple and the tabernacle were the points where heaven and earth kissed where God's space and human space were one, where God and humans could meet, right? I like to think of it, I don't know if this is, metaphors always fall short, so just take it for what it's worth. But I like to think of it as like two pieces of fabric stretched out, kind of parallel to one another. Um, And you can press them together so that they meet. And that place is where, say, the temple and the tabernacle, heaven and earth met in that space. And when Jesus came, he became that space, the touch point between heaven and earth. In his very body, he was the meeting place of heaven and earth. And he walked around spreading the influence of heaven everywhere that he went. Now Jesus is gone now, but there are still some of those touch points where heaven and earth meet. Now you, bearer of the Holy Spirit, are one of those touch points whenever you walk in step with the spirit in obedience to Jesus. And like Jesus, you spread the influence of heaven all around earth. And there's another touch point that I mentioned before, the sacraments, whenever we have a baptism, whenever we take communion, we'll take communion today and Jesus will meet us there in the bread and in the cup, in a meeting place between heaven and earth. But of course, all these ways that Jesus is with us, it's still different than when he was walking around here with his disciples. And we love to stress Jesus' nearness because it's true and because it's extremely comforting. Um, Totally lost my place. Yeah. It is true that Jesus is near. The overlapping nature of heaven and earth mean that though they are different spaces, they are also very near to one another. And through the Spirit who lives in you, Jesus is closer to you than you are even to yourself. But Jesus is also absent, and that absence is important. For one, it means that your experience of God now, which often feels like, you know, maybe really meaningful prayers or maybe unanswered prayers. It's not all that it will be. There will be more. Paul says now we see as in a glass dimly, as in a mirror dimly. Then we will see face to face. There is more to come. But also Jesus had to go away because he had work to do elsewhere. And He writes says we can think about heaven as if like the control room for earth. It is the captain's deck, or the CEO's office, or if you want the biblical metaphor, the throne room. And Jesus is there, and Jesus is God, and Jesus is also still our very human king. Jesus went away so that he could take charge. And the ascension is the moment when Jesus takes his rightful place on the throne. That's why we celebrate the day. (laughs) Ephesians 1, uh, 20 verses 22 tells us that Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, above all power and dominion, above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet And appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body Jesus is seated on the throne in the heavenly realms above every ruler authority power dominion every name forever and ever like every different way you could conceptualize power they put a word in there for it forever and ever the ascension means that Jesus is in charge and that is an enormous relief. It's a relief because it means that we are not in charge of anything. And he writes, says, to embrace the ascension is to heave a sigh of relief, to give up the struggle to be God, and with it, the inevitable despair at our constant failure. It is to enjoy our status as creatures, image-bearing creatures, sure, but creatures nonetheless. We are not in charge. Like, do you feel yourself relax at that a little? If not yet, let's talk about some of the things that we're in charge of, not in charge of. <laughs> I actually found in my text, I was going through my sermon this morning and I found a place where I said, I am in charge and I was like, forgot the not." Uh, <laughs> I feel like that is a like, metaphor for my whole life. Uh, <laughs> so here's one thing that we're not in charge of. We are not in charge of God. Now my guess is that none of you would have said that you were in charge of God But if you have ever tried to word your prayer in just the right way so that God would hear it, or do just the right good things, because maybe in exchange, God would do what you wanted. Those are attempts to be in charge. And like, yeah, when we really want something, when we are grieving and desperate, it seems like a good idea to be able to be sure that, to get, that you can get God to give you what you want. But really, none of us wanna live in a world where you can manipulate God. Does that sound terrifying? It's nice that it doesn't work, I guess. Another um, more dangerous way I think that we are often fooled into believing that we are in charge of God is through theology. Um, I find this tough to explain, but hopefully you'll get it. Um, I think that the reason that many of our theological discussions get so heated um, through history, they've often gotten violent. Uh, I think it's because we think that if we change what we believe about God, then God will change. And so it feels very threatening to consider something new. It's as if like the whole ground of being shifts under us as our beliefs shift, but that's not right. My beliefs about God impact how I live for sure. They impact the choices I make and how faithful I can be and how loving I can be, but God is God. God is not a figment of my imagination. I could believe all sorts of wild stuff about God and God would not change. God would still be good. God's love would still endure forever. Like it's kind of comforting how confused the disciples are all the time. They seem uh, <laughs> they seem more or less like they've got it together in the Luke passage that we read this morning, but not in Acts. Uh, which, by the way, are both written by the same person. Uh, they're just two tellings of the same story. Um, I kind of liked the parallel, so we read them both. but. In Acts, Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and they ask, Lord, is it time? Like, Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, they're still thinking military victory for Israel, not peaceful renewal of all things, right? Like, Sometimes I think that if I just had Jesus for an afternoon, I could ask all my questions and get all my thinking squared away, but they have been face to face with him for three years. And look, he doesn't even answer their question, and he doesn't even tell them that it's wrongheaded. He says, it's not for you to know. As in, you are not in charge of this. They don't have all the answers or even all the right questions. And still, Jesus lets them follow him, still calls them as witnesses, still Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit. And it is good, it's important to think about God, to try and get a good handle on on good theology. There is definitely bad theology out there, like very bad, and it has an impact on people live, on how people live. But your theology does not make actual changes in the cosmos. I can watch all the YouTubers I want, develop all the beliefs I want, and God will remain the same. And your in laws can do the same thing. God will remain the same. (laughs) We are not in charge. We are not in charge. And it is too much pressure to be in charge of the workings of heaven and earth. You do not have to create the right God through detailed theology. And you don't have to hold God in being by having all the right beliefs, convincing everyone everywhere that you're right about it. It is God who holds you in being. You can learn about God. You can wrestle with all sorts of different ideas about God. You can argue with whoever you want. You can listen and try on new thoughts. God remains the same. We are not in charge of God. Here's another thing we are not in charge of. We are not in charge of salvation. We do not make other people Christian. We can't, and that has never been our job. Believing that we are responsible for other people's salvation, like even our own kids' salvation, it has led to a whole mess of things, right? We've used manipulation and fear to coerce people into heaven. Jesus didn't do that. We've been mean and judgmental in the name of preventing other people's sin. We've been overbearing because we get so anxious that maybe we haven't done enough. But we are not in charge of other people's salvation. We do have a role, right? We saw it in both the texts we read. We are called to be witnesses. A witness tells what they have seen. A witness tells what they have seen. They are not the lawyers putting together the perfect proof. They are not the judges making the final decision for everyone. They say what they have seen. If Jesus has comforted you, loved you, challenged you, tell about it. If your life of following Jesus has been a blessing to you and to the world, tell about that. If your prayers have been answered or not answered and you have seen something else happen, if you've sensed the prompting of the Holy Spirit, if you have known the grace of God releasing you from your sins, tell about it. That's your job. And honestly, sometimes that can be harder than constructing the perfect proof because it's so much more vulnerable. And of course, we can challenge one another and we can call one another back to the way, but not because we are in charge of salvation. That has only ever been Jesus' job. We are not called to save anyone. We are called to love them and to witness to what we have seen. We are also not in charge of the church, which is a real tough one. I sure would like to be in charge of the church. I can think of some things I would do, you know, and some people I would have conversations with. (laughs) Actually, to be honest, like, if you want to be convinced that you are not in charge of the church, just become a pastor. Uh, (laughs) Like, I was so righteously angry before I was a pastor, I knew exactly what I would fix. Um, the church can be tough right and not I don't mean just Sherman Street the church as a whole it can be so tough it can make it hard to be a Christian I know some of you have faced that head-on some of you are here despite the church's influence in your life a Catholic Church in Hart like where we used to live had a gun show last week in the church like I just and there are churches that are racist that denigrate women that seem to worship money at least as much as they worship Jesus also there are churches that seem to have forgotten that they're supposed to think about Jesus at all Um, forgotten that Jesus like loved the poor and the marginalized forgotten that Jesus died as like the pinnacle of his ministry And the worst churches are often the ones that make the news, which is depressing. Um, And maybe, you know, maybe some of those people are far enough off the mark that they're no longer the church. I don't know. But it seems that God is pretty determined to show grace. And that's how come I get to be here. That's how come any of us get to be here. And so maybe that's why they get to be here too. And while I might wanna draw more lines about who is and who isn't really a Christian, it's just not up to me. And I don't know how much Jesus will forgive, but I suspect it's way more than I would. And I suspect I will find out that I needed that wide grace more than I thought I did too. So I'm glad I'm not in charge. I'm thankful that it's Jesus driving this train, because sometimes it seems like it's going off the rails. But even when the church is being foolish, or certain Christians are driving me crazy, I trust Jesus. Jesus is trustworthy, and he is in charge. And so I can speak my peace and do my best to love and release my desire to control to the one who is really in charge. You know, we think about Synod coming this week, not this week, this summer. (laughs) And it, yeah, that, I was, (laughs) we were at an Ascension service on Thursday. The Ascension is actually We celebrate the Ascension 40 days after Easter, so it's actually always on Thursday. And then we have Ascension Sunday, where we commemorate it. Um, Anyway, I was at a service with our classes, um, which is a mix of people who believe different things about, and churches who believe different things about human sexuality. But we took communion together and sang a song about how we are one, and I wept. Um, But whatever happens, We are not in control. It's just not ours to hold. Here's another big one. We are not in charge of the world. And that's tough too. Like I don't know why though. (laughs) Like it's pretty clear I'm not in charge. (laughs) Uh, But somehow for me, like I think if I worry enough or if I read all the news, Or if I like work hard enough, then somehow maybe I might be able to fix everything. It's like a little grandiose. Um, And all that really happens is that I get overwhelmed and sick with despair, immobilized by all the injustice and suffering. I end up, you know, binging on Netflix or burying myself in novels or computer games too. Um, Or just close my eyes because I can't bear it anymore. Like part of me knows that, part of me wants to be in control and actually believes that I am in control in some way. And another part of me knows that I can hardly even touch the pain of this world. And we absolutely have a role. We have been given gifts with which to bless the world, to call for righteousness and justice, to bring shalom, but we are not in charge we are not responsible to bring it about. We are not responsible for the timeline of the whole thing. That's Jesus' job. He's the one on the throne. And honestly, I wish he would hurry up sometimes. But I'm not in charge. And again, he is trustworthy. So whatever he is doing, we can trust that it will be good. Our job is not to fix it all. Our job is to be faithful with what we are given each day and to let the rest belong to Jesus. Even that belongs to Jesus, to be honest. And that faithfulness can look a lot of ways, right? Like it can look like Dr. King giving speeches and leading marches. And it can look like a nurse changing out a bedpan. And it can look like a parent patiently following a toddler around. And it can look like going to therapy so we won't offload our pain onto someone else. And it can look like rest and delight. It can look like gardening. For me these days, it looks like exercise because that helps me love people better. We're not in charge of the world. Jesus is, which means we can do what we can do with joy and then stop. And it means we can screw up. It means we can make mistakes, we can get it all wrong. We can fail, like it says in our confession. But we don't have to wallow in guilt or in shame because Jesus is in charge and Jesus forgives and Jesus brings us along for a new day not only forgives, but makes everything beautiful in its time. Jesus makes lovely things out of our messes. So we can breathe a sigh of relief and give up the struggle to be God and be creatures instead. The ascension means that we are not in charge. Jesus is. And Jesus is on the throne because he can be trusted. He gave us his his life to us in the incarnation. And he showed us love and welcome and healing and health and the true meaning of justice and righteousness as he walked with the disciples. In his death, he showed us that he would not, would not succumb to the violent ways of the world but that he would forgive everything. And in the resurrection, he showed us that he has the power to conquer it all, to put it all back together again. He is in charge. Take a deep breath. We can trust him. Please pray with me. Lord, we surrender to you all of our ambitions, all of our failures, all of our daydreaming about the church and the world and how it could be and how it should be. God, we entrust it all to you. We entrust all those people we love to you. We entrust all those problems we don't know what to do about to you. We ask you, by your Holy Spirit, to teach us how to be faithful in each moment and how to leave the rest to you. In Jesus' name.